And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. And um, I just uh, thank you all for listening in today. We're going to have a brilliant program. Um, and uh, both of our guests today are really making some huge changes in the world of, of dementia. And so I'm really excited to get to our conversation. But before we start, we always get new listeners. And so I like to let them know who the heck is Alzheimer's Speaks? <laughs> what do we do? And bottom line, we're an advocacy based company providing multiple floors to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, that that's the way we're going to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help people um, diagnosed with this disease and caring for those who are diagnosed continue to live with purpose and maintain their identity um, uh, <clears throat> themselves. You have to excuse me. I've got my allergies are, are getting me at my core today here. Um, we also believe that collaboratively is the only way we're going to win the battle against dementia. And I know it's working because of all of your clicks and likes and shares with your Twitter tribes, your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn colleagues, your Pinterest, uh, Pinterest buddies, um, because you got Alzheimer's Speaks named the number one influencer online, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And that, again, we did not do alone. That is a joint effort. And so I encourage you to continue to share the information that we have, if it's the radio show, if it's the blog, if it's the Dementia Chats webinars, um, our YouTube channel, our free tools, our resource directory. Please push it out there because there are always people in need in our own sphere of influence that we don't even know are in need because people still are not talking um, as openly as we need them to regarding this disease. Um, we've made great strides over the last five years, but we have to continue to push the envelope on that. Now, I also want to um, mention a couple of my colleagues here on live and social. Apples to Apples is a show that airs Monday at 2.30 uh, Central Time with Scott and Drew Applebaum and their father and son team who discuss sports and um, banter back and forth. And you'll find out if father always knows best. You can also tune in and listen to Joan of Art. And she does a weekly podcast here on Alive and Social Network that investigates and celebrates people who make art. And it's pretty interesting um, how she covers artists from every corner of the universe. And um, her episodes usually go up on Monday as well. Um, today, um, the show itself here on Alzheimer's Speaks was brought to you by Audible.com. And you can get a free Audible download book for a 30-day free trial if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash social. That's audibletrial.com forward slash social. And they have over 180 titles to choose from. 
if it's for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. So it's a, a great deal for you um, to be able to, to participate in that. I also want to give a shout out to uh, ca- the Caregiver Alert Center. I just love this program. It's very inexpensive, under $15 a year, to protect your loved one who may wander. And what you do is you um, can set up, you can just go to our homepage on alzheimerspeaks.com, click in the right column, the Caregiver Alert Center um, logo, and it'll bring you to a discount there um, where you can upload um, information on your person with dementia. And in case they ever wander, there will be a poster ready to go and distribute. Um, You don't have to worry about how tall are they and what color are their eyes and what picture do I use. Everything's in place. They coordinate with the police um, and your buddy list. And it's just a quick, easy way to support you in terms of helping them be found. Um, So let's go ahead and get started today. I'm first going to introduce Cindy Lezinski, and um, she is from Colorado, northern Colorado, and she is just a spectacular woman. I don't even remember exactly how we got connected, but um, I've met with her a couple of times when she's come back to Minnesota, and she is an advanced practice nurse and dementia practitioner with many years of working with her community case management clients in northern Colorado, many who have lived with dementia um, or she's, or have um, served as partners for those with dementia. And her interest in dementia care really escalated when her own dad developed the symptoms. Um, and we all know when it touches our own family, it really hits hard um, with us. Um, and many of us take that angst Um, and try to do something to help improve the next guy's life. And Cindy is doing some miraculous things and is really the catalyst for building and sustaining a dementia-friendly community in northern Colorado. So welcome, Cindy. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, I'm I'm thrilled to have you on. And you're the one who actually told me about Penny Gardner. And... um, I, I, I was uh, kind of ashamed to say, Penny, I did not know um, of your work, and Cindy is just such a passionate, raving fan of yours, um, and I can see why um, after after doing some more research on Penny's work. You see, Penny was um, the first to introduce to dementia um, by her mother, who developed Alzheimer's around the age of 60 and died at the age of 74 And for the past 23 years, her and her team have worked at Buford Hospital, and they have a program called SPECL, and it's Specialized Early Care for Alzheimer's, and um, it also has a charity of its own, um, which is called Contented Dementia Trust, which I just love that name. So, uh, Penny, welcome. I'm I'm just thrilled to have you here and to help raise your voice of your work. Thank you very much. It's the most enormous privilege, and it's not often I get to speak at such a distance. So it's very exciting. Well, I, you know, I, I just I was so touched at 
um, what I've read and um, viewed uh, about your work, and I just can't wait to share it with our audience because um, I can see why Cindy is such a raving fan of yours. So I'm going to start by um, asking Cindy first, how did, how did you, Cindy, hear about Penny and her contented dementia approach? Well, uh, I went back and visited my dad in Wisconsin one weekend, and he he was a trout researcher for the state of Wisconsin, kind of had this brilliant career, and one day he said to me, Cindy, I just can't multitask anymore, I can't seem to focus, and I feel like I'm living in a fog. And from working with some of my own clients with dementia, I thought, oh, here we go. And I just, with the kind of man my dad was and with really how truly um, brilliant I felt like he was, I thought I cannot handle him with his arms crossed over his chest, rocking in a chair back and forth. And that was my image that I had of, oh, this could be his future. So I went home and started reading what, whatever I could about dementia care. And I thought, I want to just learn everything I can. And the, the very first book I read was a book called Dementia, Frank and Linda's Story. And it was by Louise Morse. And she's from the UK as well. And she talked about using this contented dementia approach in these pilgrim homes where she worked. And so I contacted her because I was going to the UK three weeks later and um, asked if I could meet with her. And she said, well, I have something even better. Penny Garner, <laughs> who developed <laughs> the approach, is going to be in London when you are. What are the and odds so of that happening? I actually got to sit down with Penny, and she told me about her, this speckle approach or this contented dementia approach that she developed. And honestly, it just gave me such hope that life didn't have to be awful for my dad. And I I've thought about it since then. I thought, well, why did it make so much sense to me? Because it was like such a light bulb went off, and I thought, why did I never learn this in nursing school? Um, why doesn't every single nurse know about this approach? And the reason why it, I think I got it and is because she starts with why, and she uses this photograph album analogy to explain how the mind with dementia works. And by me understanding that why, it then made it um, just make sense to me of, okay, now this is her approach. I get why it works. And it's easy. It's not even, there's a lot of person-centered approaches out there that are good, but the contented dementia approach is so simple. And so that's where I I just think everybody should know. (laughs) How did it, how did it help you in, in dealing with your dad? Can you give us an example? Sure. Um, One thing Penny says, she has three golden rules that that she talks about. And one of them is um, make the the person with dementia is the expert. So make them the expert. And so I knew that my dad's expertise was fishing. And so I would often start conversations or just talk about what I knew he knew well. And that gave him confidence to participate in a conversation because he generally wasn't very talkative. But knowing that he could talk about what he knew well and, and um, not know that he wasn't going to be criticized or corrected when he talked to me, he, he, I think, shared more than he would have otherwise. And he even said to me, I just, I wish you could stay all the time because I just feel better when you're here. And my mom would say that too. He's just a lot less anxious when you're around. And again, it wasn't because I was this fabulous person to have around. It was just that I was just using Penny's simple golden rules that I know she'll tell you about that um, just made it easier for him. And it put 
him at ease. It then actually made my mom more at ease when I was there too. Um, and she was able to eventually learn the strategies as well. Okay, wonderful. Now, Penny, I'm sure you hear stories like that all the time from from both families and professionals, that it just eases things. Yes, well, I think it's 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 giving people the the why um, before you get any further. That that is the is the really helpful thing. And I think what this speckle photograph album, which took a very long time to kind of develop, because I needed something which would not only explain dementia, but before you start trying to explain dementia, uh, you have to understand how our own memory works in a very simple way, because. Dementia is about a change in the way normal memory works. And it dawned on me when I really got into the field that we don't think about how our normal memory works at all. So we just take it for granted uh, that we know things. But we don't just know things. That's the interesting thing. We have to actually go and, and check them out. And it's this idea that, that gradually developed of finding a way that I could explain how normal memory works for all of us in a way that people could understand and then see what happens as we age, which is, again, very normal, and then to see what happens on top of all that. Just a single change, that's what was so extraordinary. I only had to identify a single change in the way normal memory works. Once people understood how normal memory works, they could see this single change that comes in. And it was all around uh, the idea that, that those of us without dementia, um, we know what we've just been doing. We take that completely for granted that we know. But, of course, we don't just know. We own the information, and we have to check it out. So I came eventually, after really several years, this idea of uh, if you can think of your memory, you're given when you're born, everybody is, a memory system. If one thinks about it um, metaphorically as being given and uh, presented with a photograph album, and then having the idea that from then on, everything that you do or you experience, um, you don't take the photographs, but the photographs are taken for you. A split second after you've done something, a photograph appears in this album you've been given. And it contains both the facts and the feelings of what you've just been doing a moment before. Um, you don't feel the photograph arriving or anything. You don't take any notice of that. But you grow up knowing that you own the photographs of what you've just been doing. So when anybody asks you a question, um, you don't just know the answer. You may feel as if you do. But actually what happens if you slow the process down is that we have to say, ah, uh, now let me think, let me look in my album, and there you can see what you've just been doing, gives you the continuity and helps you to be able to answer the question. So I took the simplest question you could possibly be asked. Um, would you like a cup of tea? Now you or I would go, well, would we like a cup of tea? And at bus speed we'd go, well, hang on, it just depends. Is everybody having a cup of tea? I mean, would I be the only one? You check out where you are, what you're doing, and you think, no, 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 we're here for tea. Um, yes, of course I'd like a cup of tea. So without all Almost a split second, you're saying, um, oh, yes, please. Or no, thank you if you don't like tea. Um, you know, I'll have coffee. Um, but then you take the person with dementia, they are no different except that they are not necessarily storing the facts of what has just happened other, in, other than in terms of feelings. So we store both the facts of what just happened and the feelings about how we felt about it. All of a sudden, they start to store this new type of photograph, which only reflects back to them what they've just been doing in terms of feelings. 
say the person says to a person with dementia, so would you like a cup of tea? And they go, just like we do. Well, now let me think, um, uh, is everybody having a cup of tea? I mean, let me just have a look in my album. They have a look and they think, well, hang on, that's funny. I don't, I don't see many facts here. In fact, where on earth am I? And suddenly they can't answer that question because they haven't got the information about how they got there necessarily or what they're doing or who they're with. And suddenly panic comes in. And meantime, the person is just standing there saying very nicely, well, 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 would you? And the person with dementia is going, would I what? They haven't even stored the question that they've just been asked necessarily. And yet they've got all the information of what they did long ago before they got dementia, but they haven't got what they've just been doing necessarily. And once I realized that this would be a good way of explaining it, this photograph album, I found that that on its own started to get people to go, oh, right, so there's not much point in asking her to try and remember if actually it hasn't been stored. But on the other hand, no wonder she can talk about things that happened years ago, because they are in there. And increasingly, a person with dementia will match, go and find a match from old photographs that you and I wouldn't be bothered with. We're not interested in how we had tea 40 years ago. We're interested in what we're doing, being offered tea now. But they will actually go back and make a match. And the big breakthrough for me, I think, a series of my mother's seismic statements to me over that 10 or 14 years that I sort of trotted along beside her as best I could. Um, she'd always been a traveler all her life. Um, where she'd been diagnosed with dementia. We're in a doctor's surgery. We are waiting to have our ears syringed. And we're chatting about what we're going to do when we go shopping later. And all of a sudden, she turned to me. And she wasn't phased at all, but she just said, um, oh, has, has our flight been called yet? And, you know, that was just a complete stopper. I thought, what on earth is that all about? And then I realized in that moment that she appeared to have no access to what we'd just been talking about. But she'd had a look around that waiting room and she'd gone back in her old pages, as it were, of her album, and she found a very intelligent match. Mm -hmm. And the answer I learned that all I had to say to her was no. And she said, oh, good, oh, well, that's fine, and went on talking. And about, <laughs> I don't know, 10 minutes later, she said, um, uh, where's our luggage? And you learn, all I needed at that situation was to say, checked in. And she said, oh, that's fine, just hand luggage. And, you know, I looked around that waiting room, and I think then that was the first time that I looked through her eyes. And I thought, well, yes, just hand luggage. There were all these people waiting to see the doctor with their baskets and their handbags. And, and She'd matched to old photographs to replace what she hadn't got in the present and provided I didn't contradict her or try and put her right or argue about using my album photographs rather than hers about doctor's surgeries at that moment. There wasn't a problem. So that insight that the um, photograph album analogy or metaphor gives to people shows them the why, the what's happening, why the person is behaving as they are, and what we should do about it. And so these three golden rules come in. Um, don't ask questions uh, because the information that they need in order to answer may not have been stored. So find other ways of finding out information from them. And we get a tool called the questionless question. 
it, it's counterintuitive. Normally we ask, if we want to know something, we ask questions, but not when the person's got dementia. Um, there are other ways, and they're much more satisfactory. Um, listen to their questions, because actually we only ask a question, any of us, when we don't know something ourselves, it's important to us, and we need to ask somebody else, and they're no different. Um, so their questions are like gold dust because their questions tell us what's important to them and what they can't actually find at that moment. Um, and then we can set about finding the best answers. Um, and then don't contradict, which just simply means don't, don't argue with them about the photographs they're, trying to, they're choosing to use. Don't thrust your album underneath their nose because actually we use our own photograph albums. So that was my starting point, but it all came really from that insight from my mother. What did this mean? Has our flight been called yet? Well, and it's so, um, you know, over here in the U.S., people refer to entering their world. You know, you have to live in their world. And, and really, that's what you figured out years and years and years ago was it's important to know um, and appreciate where they're at and not judge it. Um, go with it and and be respectful of it. Well, that that's absolutely true. And then you need to go one step further, which is um, they are actually living in the present, mm-hmm. not in the past. So it's no good leaving them marooned in the past mm-hmm. and joining them there, but with no relevance to the to the present. So I think that what is unique about Speckle, or one of the things that's unique about Speckle is that having gone through that, that whole idea of being respectful to their past, knowing about their life history, understanding what they're saying, starting where they're at, but then you do still need to make it relevant to what you're doing actually at that moment. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of making those links, which we call making a present of the past, which is a, uh, a phrase that we've taken a trademark out on because it so describes what we do. We don't leave them marooned in, in, a, in an airport. We actually have to work out ways of not disturbing the sense they're making, but also of ensuring that they're still um, particularly eating, drinking, walking around the place, um, uh, confident in um, all the bathroom behavior, all those things that the carers, dressing, undressing, that's where we've got to make the links, really. So it goes far beyond um, just an empathetic entering their world. And that story about the airport, you know, um, about seven years ago, I was presenting at a conference, and um, there were two p- professionals. I think, actually, they were clinical psychologists. And they were chatting away, and they hadn't been to the presentation where I'd presented the photograph album ideas. But they had heard something about them from somebody else. And I was walking past, and I heard one of them say to the other, oh, do you know, there goes that woman who condemned her poor mother to live all her life at Heathrow. Oh. Now, that would be if, you know, we were using that just to be in the past with them and join them in the past. She would have been marooned at Heathrow. Um, But years later, I met him again, and he'd seen then the presentation. And I said to him, I couldn't stop as I went past because I had got not the language to explain to you because you hadn't seen the presentation. But once you've seen it, I can say to you, I only went to Heathrow when my mother was already there. And she went to lots of other places as well. The golf course, the Mm -hmm. bridge table. 
wherever. So yes, you join them, but you've also got to make the connections with what is happening in the here and now. And it's, it's a very highly practical approach. And that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that um, most people don't take it to that next level. How do you get, how do you um, not ask a question? I mean, I think that's just so innate in all of us, you know, to ask a question, have a preconceived answer that we're, we're expecting. And then, you know, we move so quickly in this world. How do you get people to change that habit? Well, that's a very, very good question because we're just about to start uh, a King's College London uh, research program into the efficacy of the Speckle Method in, in, and seeing does it, does, will an eight-week carers course um, on the Speckle Method, uh, half-day uh, half sessions, eight of them, is that going to make a difference, a measurable difference? Is it going to bring about the, the, the changes, the, uh, not only in quality of life, but is it also going to save money, which, of course, is you know, what everybody is trying to do now because the cost of, of dementia is absolutely massive. Um, and one of the key things, obviously, we will be bringing in are these three golden rules, the photograph, album, understanding, and then the three golden rules, um, and the tools, the question as question technique. Now, the first thing you have to do with people when you're asking them to learn a new way of finding out information without asking questions is very, very simply to start raising their awareness of just how many questions we ask. Mm -hmm. um, and then being aware of that to start thinking about actually, how many of them do we need to ask? And how many of them could we find out by another means? And then looking at, right, what is the technique if I need to find out information from this person, how am I going to do it? So the, the, the classic starter for the question, this question is, if we take the, the uh, question of the cup of tea, I mean, is this poor person never going to be asked if they want a cup of tea? Are they not going to get any, supposing they wanted coffee? But actually, all you have to do is to say, well, I think, I think it's time we all had a cup of tea. Or, um, I'm just going to have a cup of tea, I think. And the other person will invariably say, oh, make it two, or I like coffee, or I hope it's got sugar in, or you've got your, you've got your information, you've got your reply. But you haven't put them on the spot when they have to go, oh, let me think, let me look. Oh, my goodness, there's no facts here. What's going on in my life? Oh, my goodness me. Well, and that is so stressful um, in talking with people with dementia all the time. I mean, that's one of their biggest fears and one of their, their, their biggest things that they're worried they're going to have a faux pas and someone's going to, you know, kind of see those skips and misses in their brain. And they work so hard to stay on track and... I think most people don't have a clue how hard their brain is working. Um, I, think, I think that's absolutely right. And when you think that the person with dementia is storing facts, I mean, we've got this image in the photograph album of each photograph that goes in, and they're flying in all the time of what we've just been saying, what we've just been doing. And each photograph has got a central portion of the facts, and then it's got a kind of square framework around the outside which represents the feelings. And this new type of photograph that the person with dementia starts storing randomly and intermittently, but increasingly frequently, this new thing that we call a blank, fact-free, feelings only, there's an awful lot of space for feelings in this photograph because it, the feelings don't have to kind of jostle with the facts. There's all this space for feelings. 
because there are no facts in it. And so feelings become incredibly important. And they're very aware of how they're feeling, how they've just been feeling, uncluttered with an awful lot of the facts that most of us are, are preoccupied um, with. Now, it's okay uh, to some extent to feel all right, but not quite know why. But supposing you've just felt panicked, and that panic stores as a blank photograph, it's got all the panic in the photograph, but no explanation as to why. Now you're going to catch sight of it and think, something hideous has happened. What on earth was it? Yep. <clears throat> That's when you're going to do more matching because the person with dementia hasn't lost their reason. They haven't lost their ability to reason, their wish to reason, but they have lost an awful lot of the factual information that most of us expect to be reasoning with. So they very sensibly go back and make these matches to try and find some facts from a long ago that are going to make sense of how they're feeling now and where they are. Now, if they have felt panicked, um, and sometimes it's to the point of trauma. It's so alarming to think you don't know what on earth has been happening, but you can see something awful has been happening, but you don't know what. What happens? They will go back and seek out not old benign photographs about airport travel, but about catastrophe. Because they're matching how they're feeling in the present. They've got to find some dreadful trauma in the past to make sense of this traumatic feeling they've got in the present. Wow. And that... So that is completely hideous. And, uh, you know, there is something much, the worst sort of trauma you can imagine that you or I uh, could go through, we would at least know what had caused it. And that gives us some way of doing something about it, even if it's just coming to terms with it. Um, but to be stranded without knowing that trauma has happened, but not knowing how and what it was about. Is, is really just about the pits. And that is why uh, it looks to us as if people eventually, sooner or later, shut down. They have to as a defense mechanism. And so there are an awful lot of people who seem to be entering end-stage dementia, end-stage vegetation, who actually have opted to bail out because it's too traumatic to live in a traumatic present that they can't, they can't explain except by going back and finding old, old trauma, which will be out of kilt with today, and will be dismissed by other people. Oh, you don't want to worry about that. No, there hasn't been an air crash. No, 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 you're at home. But actually, they're just stuck. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we're seeing um, a tremendous rise in the amount of people who reach end-stage dementia in a state that we've never seen anyone at Burford. We've never had anyone at Burford in end stage dementia that you can't that you can pick out in a crowd. Mm -hmm. You can come to a room full of people at all stages of dementia and none at all, and you are, cannot reliably tell me which is which. And that's because there is no trauma going in, no feeling that other people know more about them than they do, no wondering what's just been happening, which has obviously been alarming and frightening. It just isn't happening. Wow. And so a default position is it's okay. And so from moment to moment, they're okay. And they function at a remarkably high level right through to the end of life. Yeah. And how beautiful is that? Uh, when you were talking about the trauma, I just, one thing that stuck out in my head was uh, with my mom, uh, was in the nursing home and I was in there just kind of cleaning out her closet and everything was fine until the news came on. 
And then mm-hmm. she saw pictures of bombing. And mm-hmm. she got so frightened and so scared. And I had no idea that she was thinking that was going on outside the walls of the nursing home. No. And then that that feeling that she's at, that that awful trauma stores, but without the facts of the fact that it was a television program. Yep. Yep. And so you feel, I've got to do something. Something hideous has happened. We have to do something. But what? I don't know what to do. Uh, You know, so once you really um, get your head around the photographs, album ideas, it become, two things happen. One is that it becomes obvious that um, we must promote good feelings for people, and that does mean um, uh, not contradicting, uh, finding, not putting them under stress, listening to them as the expert, treating them as the expert. Um, all that will, will ensure that they have a, a benign experience in the present, which means that when they go matching for old photographs, for old facts when they need them, they're going to look for old benign facts. Mm-hmm. And then the next bit, the more advanced bit, is to look at what happens if it's not benign in the present. And, of course, there's nothing worse than somebody who owns a bit of information about your life, who argues with you to say, no, you're wrong and I'm right, and then produces incontrovertible evidence. You know, uh, we give the example of sort of I asked you to paste a letter. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I saw you, you say to the person who's mentioned, I saw you put it in that pocket in your handbag. I know where it is. I'm going to show you where it is. And the person with dementia looks in their album and they go, there's been nothing about a letter today. I haven't been given a letter today. And then the letter is found and shown to them. Now they know that they don't know about their own life and they know that the person that they're talking to owns something that they've done and they don't. And that is just about the worst sort of trauma you can inflict on somebody. You know, that, that you, your, your own knowledge of your own life is not yours. They know what you've just been doing. You can see clearly that they do because they can tell you what you've just been doing and give you evidence of it. And you don't own that information. It is simply terrifying. It it really is. And I, I just think it's um, <clears throat> beautiful the way you have um, really listened to the person with dementia and, and framed them as the expert. That's my, my, I'm very aligned with that belief that, you know, we're just peeking in the windows. Um, well, that's right. And I think Cindy's got the most wonderful story that I only heard of this morning, which I, I'm sure she can tell us, um, about somebody at her, uh, where she works who just tried tried the three golden rules for a day. Isn't that right, Cindy? Oh, yeah. That my uh, One of my friends who's in a support group with me, and she was so depressed and overwhelmed. She's a teacher, and her husband was a teacher, and he got uh, recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and she was so just beyond herself. And so I, I explained the whole photograph album analogy and said, you know, there's just three golden rules. Just try these three things. And she tried it for one day. She stopped correcting them. She stopped asking questions. She only talked about what he was an expert in. And he said, at the end of the day, he said, well, this is the best day we've had in years. You're a much better wife than you used to be. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how cute. Well, it is. It's so simple. Um, it's the simple little things that bring us back to these deep, deep connections when we 
pay attention and consciously care instead of just going around doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's just so critical and is such a, a beautiful testament um, to the work that you've done, um, both Penny and, and Cindy. Um, you know, you're really bringing the brilliance alive of the, of the relationships and getting back to the core of what's important. And, you know, for all of us, it's to be peaceful and to be comfortable, um, in our own skin. And when somebody finally realizes the angst and the turmoil that's going on and that we're causing, um, Mm -hmm. what a difference. I, I remember hearing one of the stories, um, Penny, maybe you could share about, I think it was your, your mom you had placed and they brought her back because, uh, because of tea, because she, she, she wanted hot chocolate instead of tea. Was that, um, I, I'm trying to think if it was you or if it was somebody you were interviewing. I did. We gather so many stories, don't mm-hmm. we, when we get going with, um, with people. Um, just, rem- just remind me, it might have been me, it might have been somebody else. Yeah, I can't remember. It was on your, <clears throat> on your DVD, and it was just a beautiful story of, you know, finally, you know, she was going to be placed, and then they brought her back because she, she just got so agitated over the tea right, and right. she never well, liked tea. I was just thinking about the um the story on the um uh, another story on the DVD which sort of echoes really the point you're making because I think what I found I mean I've been what now 26 years since I had my I had my mother's case history and it was only one I, I it was in depth but it was only one person and I had no idea whether it would work for anybody else she left me a sort of blueprint virtual blueprint of what what I should do with her but I didn't know whether it would apply to anyone else um, and then at Barford over the years I found it applied to absolutely everybody and I think one of the fascinating things is that these stories that one produces um, other people have got them and they are making the same sort of points and there's something in in the DVD where somebody who'd been on a um, she was quite a young wife actually she was a second wife and she um, her husband had Lewy body disease and um, he was really frantic at night, and they were getting no sleep at all um, with these, um, you know, in quotes, hallucinations about um, about the whole room being invaded with children. And she tried everything um, she could. And then suddenly one day she said, that's ridiculous. Now, what on earth would Speckle do? So she had another think. And um, she uh, went by the, you know, listen to the expert um, and don't contradict. So when he said, you know, about these children for the umpteenth time, she got out of bed and she said, now come along, come along, out, out. Now come along, tidy up and out you go, one by one, and ushered these children, so to speak, out of the room. And she turned around and she said to him, well, there we are, Tony. Um, They've all gone now. Thank goodness for that. And he said, well, that's wonderful. But why on earth didn't you do that before? (laughs) And those are the sort of remarks, you know, when you think about it, that you, you, you realize that if we listen to the person... But we've got an idea. I do think it's, um, it's the, the, I haven't found anything other than the photograph album um, ideas that give you the insight in order to be able to translate what they're saying in quite the same way. But armed with the photograph album ideas and then listening, they really write most of the script for us. And, and it's like turning light bulbs on. Mm-hmm. 
You know, well, my, my mother, um, she made these seismic statements. She made another one, which was, again, rather, I suppose, in the same vein. She said to me, do you know, it's really interesting, but the, but the only person that I have a problem with my memory with is your father. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now, my dear father, I loved him as much as my mother, but he was a medical man, and facts were much more important than feelings, and he needed to keep her up to the mark. Um, and it didn't work. And she was so aware of the problems all the time of her own deficit and how he knew and she didn't. But she found it extraordinary that when she was with the rest of us that she had apparently no memory problems at all. But then we were running on old pages and not expecting to refer to anything that had just happened a moment ago. But it's not common sense. It's no. what I call speckle sense, because there isn't another word for it. And uh, I don't know of another condition which turns common sense on its head, but common sense simply, I discovered, doesn't work for dementia. Yeah. Um, Cindy, you had a comment? Oh, kind of along those same lines. An example that I experienced when my dad was in the hospital and he by mid-afternoon was starting to get real anxious, the whole kind of sundowning thing, and he he had this uh, story in his head that he had, had to make a list. He just had to make a list. And so the response was, Bob, you're in the hospital. You don't need to make a list. And so, of course, his anxiety rose. He ended up getting anti-anxiety meds. And this happened two afternoons in a row. And then um, my sister and I arrived there at the hospital and found out that that same thing started to happen. I got to make a list. I got to make a list. And all we had to do was say okay, dad, I'm ready. I'll make a list. And I had my pencil and paper. And all he wanted to do was he said, okay, well, we, I, I want to make sure that I thank the Wisconsin chapter of Total Limited because they're a bunch of God-fearing men. And I want to be sure that I thank um, the guys from Green Bay because they're working so hard to improve the trout streams. And I want to thank Elwood for his you know, professional mentoring. And, and, and so we got down his, his list of people that he wanted to thank because he was anxious about forgetting them for an award speech he was going to have to give. And he used to get a lot of awards for his work. It made total sense that that's what he would have been anxious about. And he didn't need any anxiety meds that first day that, that we got there. The second day it happened and he was still in the hospital. The same thing started to happen again. I got to make a list. I got to make a list. And so we said, okay, I'm ready to make a list. And he just kind of took a breath and was like, okay, that's fine. He just, he didn't even need to make a list the second day. He just needed to know that he could make a list. Yeah. Oh, that's such pure speckle, you know. And then the next level is you supply the information before it's asked for. So you walk in going, thank goodness we've made a list. Right. And then you don't have, and then after that it disappears completely. Right. You know, it's just so fascinating when one realizes that you, if you listen to them, all behavior has meaning. But then you practically, yes, you want to go along with it. But as you so rightly say in that story, less and less and less right. each time. Yep. Until finally, the feeling is that there's no, no anxiety and then it disappears. Mm-hmm. And I think an awful lot of our, our work is in listening to the questions um, or, or, or statements that the person makes, finding out what the anxieties are, addressing them, and then gradually they just disappear. Um, extraordinary, quite extraordinary. 
Yeah, I, I love one of the other things that you really focus on, Penny, too, is the feelings and, and how important those are. And how those well, are... yes, and I think we've got a, a multitude of what we call speckle mantras which come in once you understand that the, the, the fundamental difference between um, the person with dementia and the person without is that the person with dementia is storing a lot more, some facts, but uh, new facts, but a lot more feelings, whereas most of us are running, you know, on a database of facts with a few feelings thrown in. There's a narrow margin of feelings around the outside of each of our photographs of facts, but the facts are really what we're we're running on. I mean, certainly watching my father as a medical man, he wouldn't have got far, you know, treating people if he's only interested in feelings. Um, so the facts are important. But obviously to the person with dementia, the, the, the feelings is their major database and their feelings memory gets better and better. For one thing, they're, they're storing many more feelings because there's much more space for storage because they haven't got to be cluttered up with too many new facts. Um, and also their perception and their picking up of, of feelings is so much more uh, acute than ours. And I think that's very similar to other disabilities. If you think of dementia as a disability, um, that if somebody's losing their sight, their hearing apparently becomes much more acute. Well, they're, they're using it a lot more. Um, and the feelings memory and the feelings receptors for a person with dementia, they are incredible. Um, I had an extraordinary story once of, of um, being sent out from the hospital to rescue some patient. She wasn't one of ours, actually, but she'd just gone walkabout. Um, uh, I had to get her back in the hospital, and it was a very long story. And I must say, I was incredibly nervous about her being out and about and not getting her back. But I finally got her back in the building, and she turned to me as we walked in, and she said, um, you're absolutely terrified, aren't you? And I thought, now, how does she know? I thought I was the absolute swan paddling along, um, little feet underneath. But she knew. Mm -hmm. she, she, she just picked it up. So, yes, feelings become much more important than facts. And, in fact, the, uh, the, the facts that we use to promote good feelings, they really don't matter. We've just got to find the facts. You know, if saying checked in to my mother about where's the hand, you know, where, where's our luggage, uh, the facts, don't, they need to be simple, but they're less important than the, um, the feeling that generates. And, and one of the amazing things I was doing in training um, a while ago was um, teaching people about, um, uh, about the answers to questions and monitoring the questions, finding the most frequently asked question, and then one at a time working our way through them. And this, this um, male nurse said to me, well, the, the, it drives me mad. She always wants to know what day of the week it is. So I said, well, what, day, what, what answer do you give her? And he said, well, of course, I tell her. <laughs> so I said, well, have you, have you managed to find out, question this question, which day of the week she'd like it to be? And he found that incredibly challenging until I pointed <laughs> out that he could write down the question. And every time she asked the question, try offering a different answer. Um, well, you've got seven for a start. You could murmur about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You could monitor the results, you know, when she went, oh, if it was Wednesday, but on the other hand, look brighter if it was Thursday, or you could say it's nearly Thursday, or it's certainly not Friday. Try it out. And he came back two days later and he said, oh, I've cracked it. Um, she really is interested in Fridays. Um, that's the one that she goes, oh, good, instead of, oh, Lord. Um, 
And so we developed this kind of scale, naught um, to 10. It's got lowercase, it's the oh good versus lowercase oh god factor. So, um, you know, the, 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 the answer that produces the best oh good, oh phew, oh that's all right, that's fine. So I said to him, that's fascinating, and I wonder why it's Friday. And she, he said, oh, I haven't got a clue why it's Friday. So I said, well, you do need to get very curious because it's interesting. What, what's so special about Friday? He disappeared for another two days and he came back. He said, I've cracked it. I know why it's Fridays. She's very keen on football. Uh, she follows a club. They never, ever win. <laughs> uh, but on Fridays, she's always hoping they will. And oh. they always stay on Saturdays. Oh, Wow. Well, I, I and can't... out of that, he found her favorite colors, the scarf for the for the yeah, the whole world of her history came out just from being able to talk about the joys of Friday. Well, and you just look at the knowledge he gained on that individual. He had no idea <clears throat> before. You know, mm -hmm. he really got to know who she was and what made her tick. You yeah, know. and all she was doing was uh, five things she was doing. She was not asking him direct questions. She was finding other ways. She was just what 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 we call burbling on um, and finding ways of um, making connections with him. Uh, she was listening to him as the expert, if, uh, how, uh, the expert if she ever said anything. She was never contradicting. She was stopping talking as soon as the other person started, and she was not interrupting. And... Following those five principles, she gathered a lifetime of experience about that person. And then the next bit is obviously to see how you link to activities of daily life um, and work out how to get somebody enjoying a bath, how to get somebody dressed, undressed, whatever, yeah. using that information. And hopefully sharing that with other care partners. So That's that, the next bit, of course. You have yeah. to learn to do it yourself first before you share. We have, we have a, a saying called the 3D approach, which is you have to develop something to start with yourself. That's the first D. Then you have to learn to, to deliver it yourself until you're really confident. And then, and only then, do you demonstrate it to somebody else. Because once that somebody else has seen it, they'll be able to do it too. Mm -hmm. But they can't really develop it themselves, but they'll have the confidence if they've seen you. So gradually, yes, you work your way through everybody who comes in contact with them so that you share. Um, we had a wonderful example of, I, you do have Marmite in the States. Do you know what I mean by Marmite? No, uh-uh. Cindy, do you? Uh-uh. No. Well, well, it's obviously a very British thing, but it's a very small pot, a very distinctive little black pot, and it's got something. Some, it's got. It's like sort of. Um, it's a spread. It's a type of spread, but it's a yeast spread, and it's terribly good for you. And you can make it into drinks, and you can uh, spread it on butter and this, that, and the other. And during the war, it was a. It was a great standby in the cupboard. And this family found, um, by a lot of uh, research and looking at background history and so on, that all they had to do when they came down in the morning um, and sat down to breakfast with their mother was to say, oh, glad about the Marmite. <laughs> um, I mean, it must just as soon be glad about the, 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 the you know, the, 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 the honey or, or the maple syrup, you know, whatever. Glad about the maple syrup. And as soon as they did that, she went, oh, that's all right as if the whole world was now okay. And it was because she felt that she could cope with anything, any amount of guests, any amount of hospitality, 
life would be all right as long as they'd got, you know, the equivalent of maple syrup in stock. And they rang me up and they said, you know, we've cracked it. We're just glad about the, I'll call it maple syrup, call it, I'm glad about the maple syrup. And we don't have to just do it at breakfast. We, we're glad about the maple syrup all through the day. She doesn't get bored of a repetition because she hasn't stored the fact of what we've just said. She's only stored the feeling. Wow. <clears throat> you know, and so it gets simpler and simpler over time, which is another very distinctive feature of the speckled program. Instead of getting more and more complex, it gets easier and easier. Okay. Um, I can't believe we have blown through almost an hour of time, and I want to ask you one more question, um, Penny, because uh, we just have about seven minutes left. But um, do you have um, a message for a person who might just be get, uh, become diagnosed and, and those that, that are going to care for them? I've certainly got a message for the person who's just been diagnosed, and I think that is um, to have a feeling of real confidence that the only thing that's been affected for them is new incoming information. All the information that they've gathered during their life is there somewhere in their album. And there's masses of it compared with the tiny bit that they are now losing that's compromised. So a man of, you know, 70, he's got, well, certainly 65 years of experience and facts and feelings all in that album that he hasn't used very much because we don't. We tend to use today's page. But it's all sitting there waiting to be used. So he needs to be really confident that provided he follows a sort of mantra of grateful, not greedy, not needing new, 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 but spending his time thinking about what he's already got, ask, making sure that his, um, his carer, whoever that is, that they go and learn as much as he already knows, because he's the expert, you know. Everybody with dementia knows they've got it before anybody else does, because it's impossible not to know that it's odd that you don't know what you've just been doing. So they've all lived with it for quite a long time. They're all expert at knowing what they don't know and going back to find uh, matches in their album. So they are expert, so they want to have the confidence that they own a lot of useful information that they can use, rather like an artificial limb. Um, and then they want to send their nearest and dearest off to become as expert at them. So they read the book. They go on some lessons. The person with dementia doesn't need to. Oh, and that, that's wonderful. Um, one of the things we do on Dementia Chats is have a panel of experts of people living with dementia. So anybody from around the world can join us, ask questions, and participate. Because sometimes mm. you can't ask your own loved one certain questions just because of dynamics and things. Mm. Um, and so it, that's been really, uh, really fun to do. But I love that you're setting them up to be the expert and empower them. Um, with the I think so. Helped. And if you, the, we have got a book called Contented Dementia, which was written by, um, actually, he's my son-in-law, is a clinical psychologist, Oliver James, um, about um, 10 years ago. Um, and in that book, at the very last minute as it was going to press, I rang Oliver up and I said, you know, we simply must put in something at the beginning of this book in case it's picked up by a person who's newly diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Because there's no need for them to read the whole book. 
none whatsoever. They'll find it difficult to process because they're not storing all the new stuff that they're, you know, they shouldn't do anything new. And this book will be new. They are the experts. So I want to write a letter. And I wrote a one-page letter. He gave me 10 minutes. He said, it's just going to, going to the publishers for print. <laughs> So I threw together this letter that said, you know, dear whoever, you know, if you've just been diagnosed, this one page is for you. Here is what I feel you should do. Um, and, um, and then basically you can get on with living the rest of your life as you would have done, provided you've got somebody else who's keeping up with you. Wonderful. Well, Penny, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Um, people can reach Penny at the Contented Dementia Trust website. And again, that's www.contenteddementiatrust.org. Um, or you can email her at info at um, contenteddementiatrust.org. There's also a Facebook page and um, there's a Twitter page as well. And um, again, I, I thank you so much for your time and your brilliance that you're sharing with everyone. Cindy, I just want to give you a, a couple of minutes just to tell people what you're doing with um, your dementia-friendly communities in um, northern Colorado. Oh, it's been exciting. <laughs> um, we started out just with some memory cafes about 18 months ago, and then we also have been doing a program called Be Sharp, which is an arts engagement program where people with dementia and their care partners get to go to the Fort Collins Symphony for five shows, and then they're part of a study at CSU. And that, both of those efforts kind of led several of us in the community to say, okay, what's next? And really what is next is working on making all of us more dementia aware and dementia friendly. And so We've recently started training some businesses in town, including the Lincoln Center, which is where um, arts engagement happens and a lot of different entertainment. Um, the fire authority has wanted to get trained. The police department wanted to get trained. Uh, grocery store and just some other places are wanting to become more dementia aware and how do they respond to people who are in the community living with dementia in a way that they can stay engaged in the community. And uh, I actually, I was just at a big Chamber of Commerce event this morning, too. So there's more places like hotels here that want to get some training. And um, there's quite a number of folks in this area that are just committed to helping people stay engaged. And it's just really exciting. It's been really fun. Well, and people can go to your website, Dementia Friendly Communities, um, noco.org for Northern Colorado. Um, and you also have a Facebook page as well. Um, so, you know, reach out to Cindy. She's just full of great information, doing really wonderful, exciting things. And I'm, I'm so pleased to, um, to be able to know both of you and um, to push things forward here and uh, raise awareness of both of your works because it really is having a great, great impact. So, again, I just want to thank you both for taking the time uh, to share with us today. Um, it'll really help people around the world. Thanks so much. Hey, and I want to mention just one other thing. The, the Contented Dementia book by Oliver James, we can purchase it here in the States. So I, I think last copy I got was on Amazon. So um, it's still available. Okay, great. And um, with um, Penny, with your DVD, is that something people can purchase or do they have to go through your course? 
to get that? Uh, no, the, well, we've got two DVDs. One, um, one I must just flag up that Baylor um, in the States has um, produced a DVD, and I can let you have the link to that. Uh, it's an American version, so it's quite it's quite interesting. And I have had one or two emails from people saying that they have come across it at conferences and so on. We've got our own over here, but we are using it and keeping it under wraps for tr for training professionals at the moment uh, and training them to coach other people. But it won't be long before that will be, I think, on, on, on YouTube. But we have another DVD, which is uh, mentioned on our website, um, which is about sex speckle carers and their journey and that is interesting I think and that you can get um, straight from us via the website okay wonderful well thank you ladies both and have a have a blessed week and uh, keep up the wonderful work Laurie, thank you so thank much you. for having us thank you um, before I let you all go I just want to do uh, a highlight if you didn't catch our last show we talked about protecting loved ones before they go missing um, this Friday, we're going to have on Nancy, Nancy Kreisman, the author of The Mindful Caregiver. And on our website, you can uh, see our last dementia chats where we talked about how people with dementia arrange and organize their schedules. And again, our experts are all diagnosed with dementia. Um, our next Dementia Chats, which again is free, will be April 12th at 11 Eastern, 10 Central, 9 Mountain, 8 Pacific, and 4 p.m. London time. If you're going to be in Texas, um, come check, uh, check me out. I'm going to be there the 5th, 6th, and 7th down in the Houston area working with autumn leaves. And again, you can go to our homepage at alzheimerspeaks.com and uh, just click on the graphic there for the um, screenings of his neighbor, Phil. And you can see exactly where those will be in Maryland, Riverstone, Pearland, uh, Cinco Ranch, and Sci Fair. I'll also be back down in Texas on the 28th with the Alzheimer's Alliance of Smith County in Tyler, Texas, doing a caregiver survival camp from 9 to 3. Let's see, what else can I tell you about? Um, I think that's it for right now. Um, oh, one last thing I want to give you a shout-out for. Um, GoFreshBooks.com uh, forward slash alive. There you can um, go ahead and get some information regarding um, new technology that will make your life easier with fresh books. Um, you know, if you've ever needed to create an invoice or just figure out where you're at dollar and cents wise, fresh books can really help you out a lot there. And you can uh, try it for a three, um, free 30-day trial. Again, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash alive. And don't forget about Audible's trial. Um, you can uh, download one free book there. Uh, again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash social. Have a great week and um, feel free to tap into our tools on alzheimerspeaks.com and utilize the memory chip, which teaches us to switch from task to being more person-centered and um, really focusing on is the person safe, happy, and pain-free. Have a brilliant week now. Bye, everyone. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. 
Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.